Greetings, CCISD. I'm Carrie. And I'm Kim. And we're getting, getting to, to the, the core. core. Awesome. Welcome back. I'm so excited to have you again. Um, today, we're going to talk about the math framework beliefs. Okay. But I thought I would kick it off with, like, what does it mean to really believe in something? Because we can see things on paper, but how do you transform it so that it jumps off the paper and becomes actionable items? Right. So just in life in general, I was kind of thinking about when I believe in something, what do I physically do? I mean, I, I don't know. When I think about belief, I think about um, commitment. I think mm. about faith. I think about, you know, working toward uh, whatever that belief is. I believe in my family. I believe in my faith. And so uh, with that, I practice. I, you know, practice my faith. I practice family time. Um, so I believe it's about I believe. I think it's about doing something about that strong connection, that heart, mm -hmm. that I I know that it's going to get to a greater good. So Yeah, I, I even went back to thinking about, okay, like, I had this deep belief in Santa Claus. Uh -huh. Like, uh, that was, like, huge to me. My mom had this golden book, and she read the story about Santa Claus, about how he started out and everything, and it, and it was just amazing. So I wanted Santa Claus to come to my house. Right. Like, that was really important to me, and right. I believed in him so much. But I knew that I had to be good, right. right? So I really made sure that I was, like, the best little big sister, the best daughter, and I, like, believed in that because yeah. I knew that if I was naughty – right. You, He's not coming. That's right. And then the day, uh, Christmas Eve, um, and my parents were so wonderful because they would do things to really help the belief. Right. They would do, you know, hang up stuff and they'd have me sit down and write the letter. Right. So I wrote this beautiful letter and I put out cookies and I put out um, milk and I made sure it was warm right. because I hear that he likes yeah, warm milk. Yes, definitely. Um, and so I really believed in it. And he, he came every single year and he comes every single year. And But I think it's because I put the energy into mm -hmm. It. So mm -hmm. I think of putting the heart, I like what you said, right. and the energy where you're actually doing things to help support it is is critical. Well, and I'm just thinking what an, a great analogy that you just said, Carrie. Um, when you think about your uh, your your behaviors aligned mm. with your belief, what you were wanting, what the outcome was, so yes. you put in behaviors. But then I also want, you just mentioned your parents, mm -hmm. like what was their part? And I think about that when we believe in something, you know, we're developing something for the greater good, which in this case is our mathematics framework. Mm -hmm. You know, we're bringing everybody to the table, but there are several different components. We have the student that's receiving, you know, we have the teachers that are delivering, you know, we have uh, board members and community members that have goals that we are trying to meet to help our, you know, our mm -hmm. city. And so I just think about the analogy you used with Santa Claus and how we all play that same kind of role. It wasn't just want your beliefs. It was you and your families. And that was critical. And right. I think that's why the committee said they were very adamant about including parents right. and thinking about every role. Right. And so built out in the framework, it has the, the four beliefs, mm -hmm. but it also has the roles and responsibilities of each individual that helps make this framework right. a walking, living, breathing plan, right. which is which is critical. So it, and that leads me to those four mm -hmm. beliefs. Right. And so the framework, which... 
by the way, is located in every math framework blueprint that was pushed out to every math because um, math course mm -hmm. in Canvas. Right. And that was critical because everybody needs to see that vision. So right. there's a graphic created to make sure everybody understands what those four are. So I'm just going to kind of read them, mm -hmm. read one, and then kind of tell me what your thoughts are. And you can do the same for me on the other one. Absolutely. So... The first one here is the balance of conceptual and procedural. Right. I think kind of like speaking in our last podcast, mm -hmm. and we talked about memorization, rote memorization, steps, one, two, three, follow me. Um, I think that you're balancing that type of teaching because there is a certain fair amount of memorization with why are we doing this math? This looks like that, you know, this cube equals one. That means, you know, one to one correspondence and teaching our children that. So there has to be a healthy balance. And like I said in the last podcast as well, each grade band, each grade levels, elementary, middle, and high school are going to have different amounts of procedural versus yes. conceptual. Yes. And so levels it, of complexity right. in there. Yes, absolutely. So yes. that's what I'm seeing is that we're really looking at what that balance is for that student in that particular grade level as it relates to the content or student expectations they're expected to learn and master. Yeah. And that's where that curriculum alignment is so important. Right. That spiraling of skills. Yeah. So, because if somebody missed it, you have to go back and reteach it so they can get that next level of complexity, oh, which is so hard. That's that's a challenge. Yeah. That's a challenge to do, but I, I think we can definitely do it. Okay, so Carrie, I'm going to bring to you this. Okay. Uh, continuous and connected story. And you talked about story. Yes, so. and that's key. One of the teachers that we interviewed that was big for him, he was saying how important it was for the kids to understand that mathematics is a story and that where they're coming from. So if they're coming from third grade, they have learned a specific skill set mm -hmm. that they're going to need to use to apply to now this next type. So that's what the committee was talking about is uh, not having to feel like you had to reteach everything every right. year right. and having that consistent curriculum across the district right. because if everybody's doing their own little thing yep. we're not saying we're not we're not uh, telling the same story right. and so if a kid goes from one school to another and we're not consistent and it's not aligned then they're going to miss out right. and there's going to be all these gaps. Yeah. And we can't ensure that excellent and, ec and equitable education is happening from one zip code to the other. Right. And that's really important. The other piece about the connected story that I just wanted to add to is, you know, as we talked about story problems at the, ba at the back of the book, you can choose or not choose. You know, one thing about having this uh, consistent curriculum, high quality in instructional material curriculum, is that there are lessons that are embedded, that are, enga that are engaging, that, as you said, when a student moves into uh, fifth to sixth grade, we're learning how to multiply fractions. They can go back to that particular lesson, and everybody has this shared experience mm -hmm. across the district. In sixth grade, the teacher can, re you know, refer back to, do you remember in fifth grade that lesson about lockers or the lesson about the brownie pan and how when you multiply, you know, uh, fractions that the number gets smaller, they're able to go back. That's part of yes, that story. That, that reference point yes. that they need in order to move. And and that's why it always was crazy to me that why elementary, we used all this stuff and then we went to middle school and weren't allowed to use it anymore. Right. It's like we have to keep that consistency where everyone is using those manipulatives yeah. across no matter what grade you're in because they do. The kids want to go back to, okay, 
let me go back to my drawing right. or my pennies and coins right. that I used to use to help me get to that next right. place. A great frame of reference. Which brings to the next one is that productive struggle. This right. is a big one. It is a, a big one. You know, we see productive struggle not just in math and anywhere. And I think that's, um, you know, us feeling so empathetic and sympathetic to our students that we want to give them a way out. Mm -hmm. You know, it might even start with really good wait time. I know our teachers are really good at wait time, but it's more than that. It's actually watching the students start, start and stop, you know, um, thinking through, you know, the teachers walking around and she sees where there might've been an error or, or, uh, the student misunderstood the concept and her giving that student ample time to wrestle, wrestle with the actual math that they're expected to do. Yes. And it, and it needs, sometimes people have this misconception that when we're allowing productive struggle, that we're not helping them. Right. right. And we don't want anyone to think that, but no. you do, you have to have the wait time you have to have the tools readily available right. you have to have the ability to watch and listen right. be, and see what the misconception is that the student has but it's not that we're not helping right. it's that we are we're building capacity in the student and I don't think re people realize how, how what work that is on the teacher to as you said understand the misconceptions that's why those uh, professional learning communities are so important oh, because are, yes. side by side colleagues are sitting down looking at what is the lesson for today? What do we think our students might miss? Let's figure out the questions to ask to help them get to those answers. And that's part of the productive struggle is being able to anticipate that, ask the right questions, and let us sit in it for a minute. Let the students, don't rescue them so quickly to give them the answer. Right. And I think you know, everybody has a gift. Right. And when you get to talk and with a group of teachers, speaking of the PLCs, you get to hear from different perspectives. Right. I mean, that is so rich because then you're going to go have all these great tips uh, and, and ways to help the students. Right. And then you're going to take it back to the classroom. But if we don't allow that time, right. then you aren't. So you don't know how to handle productive struggle. So you jump in too quickly That's because right. you haven't had a chance as a teacher right. to figure out, you know, what are all right. my options? And isn't that our productive struggle as yes, teachers, you know, yes. I mean, we, we don't want to be moved along so quickly mm -hmm. when we're trying to figure out the answer to a problem. And we are all, and that's where it comes down to, Carrie. I keep thinking about this. It's being able to critically think about how can we solve this problem? And we know as adults, there are a million ways to solve yes, a problem. Yes. So when we get teachers together and then we get students together to work on that, everybody's thinking of a different way. And it's a better way sometimes. So, yes. And that's what the workforce right. wants. Right. So when we talk about all of this is to move kids forward so they can apply it to real world applications. And that's what, when we had those community members talk, that's what they wanted. Mm -hmm. They wanted kids that, like, we can teach them what to do, right. but we want kids that are willing to take chances, right. do critical thinking, right. that protective struggle, yes. being able to not have to... Fail uh, safely. <laughs> yes. And constantly need, right. you know, they can figure it out. So. So I'm so glad this is one of our beliefs, yeah. but I know this one is one that we're really going to have to talk about. So yeah. parents feel confident that we're, that not, we're not just, not just saying, like, yeah, well, sorry, kid, figure, figure it out. out yourself. Yeah. All right. This so the last one. one. So this last one goes to you, Carrie, and it's uh, a responsive assessment practice. What does that look like? What does well, that mean to you? And when I when I see assessment, I think sometimes people go straight to the test, right, you know, right. and it's not just that. It's that formative assessment. It's that continuous 
feedback That's right. that we give our students on a an hourly basis. Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, that's hard. Right. I right. mean, you have to be committed. That's where that uh, whole academic monitoring is so critical. Yep. It's having that formative assessment. Right. It's having that technology, right. that having the leveraging the technology tools so right. that you can get that on-demand right. data quickly to right. figure out where the misconceptions are. But I think the plan of having daily weekly, monthly, but not scary. Right, right. It's not about we're going to test these kids. Right. It's about, no, we want to see where they're at because each day we're building right. and we got to make sure that each brick right. and each thing that we're building is super strong. Right. So that way they always have it. They always remember right. it. Something I want to you know share out with our parents um, that our teachers are so excellent at doing. And, and so when they, when we say an assessment, an assessment can look like an exit ticket at the end of the day. And what that is, is like a survey. I mean, it's not a survey like answer questions, but it's, we're gonna, I'm going to put a problem on the board and let's work it out and see, did everybody come up with that answer? Or were there multiple ways to come up with that answer? And so as that teacher is getting, is soliciting feedback, like you got this, you know, how many got this answer or that answer, she is able to then go, man, I can give just in time reflection and feedback and change the course of my lesson as, as quickly as the very next class. I happened to be at a middle school that they were diving into their, uh, their exit tickets. And so I think that's really important because you started out by saying that, that an assessment does not mean necessarily pencil and paper, multiple choice, star practice test. It is a variety of ways for us to correct in the time, in the moment, so we can make sure that our students go, don't go home with crystallized incorrect thinking. Right. It's that on-demand feedback yes. that, that they need. I remember back in the day, I would have stacks of papers that right. I had to grade. And by the time I graded them all, well, we were already on the next topic yeah. or concept. But now we have the ability to assess on a daily basis using Nearpod, Lumio, the exit tickets through Canvas, uh, paper, pencil, Post-it notes. Right. I mean, there's so many ways Absolutely. that we can we can leverage everything in our room because we need to help stu- students on a daily basis right. move forward. That's right. So thank you, Karen. Yes, I I think these four beliefs are are awesome. I'm glad we made the graphic so we can help people understand where we're at. Um, and the next couple podcasts will all go deeper in each of these mm-hmm. so that we can see what teachers are saying and what students are saying and our specialists. So I'm excited to keep on believing yeah. in the plan I and like make these actionable items. One last thing I just mm-hmm. wanted to address that I love that our team developed this graphic with is where it said the title mathematics and it's a tool of empowerment for life. Yes, I, I just love that these are four different components, but really the whole deal is that we want our students to be empowered for life with math. Yes. So thank you. Awesome. Well, I'm Carrie and I'm Kim and, and we're, we're getting, getting to, to the, the core. core.